This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. Pope Benedict has designated 2008 as the year of St. Paul, the Pauline year. Have you ever wondered why the Holy Father would name this year in honor of a saint who lived almost 20 centuries ago? Oh, yes, we know the name St. Paul. We know, too, that often St. Peter seems to be joined together with St. Paul. How many churches, schools, and parishes in this country are named Saints Peter and Paul? There's a lot of them. But what's so special about this man, this man Paul, who was originally named Saul? What did he do and what did he say that was, that was so important that the Pope would give him this very special honor in 2008? And what can we learn from him? Well, I don't have the answer, but I do have a man with me today whom I can always go for the right answers. And it's always a blessing to be joined by my good friend, Father Peter Harmon, who is pastor of the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception in Springfield, Illinois. And as usual, it's my honor, and I mean it, to say welcome. So, who was this man named Paul who was born in Taurus in an area now known as Turkey? And, and why has Pope Benedict named this the Pauline Year? Well, thank you, Tom. It's always good to be with you. Uh, a couple of years ago, I believe it was in uh, 2005, uh, the, and like about this time uh, in, the, in the fall, so I think in Pope Benedict's first year, um, he spoke uh, it was the 40th anniversary of the document uh, De Verbum uh, from the Second Vatican Council. And uh, the Holy Father wanted to, at that point, encourage people again to go back to uh, a Catholic love for the Scriptures. Um, the, the document De Verbum from the Second Vatican Council is a beautiful document that speaks about the Word of God being alive and active. It borrows so many phrases from St. Paul that right thereafter, um, Pope Benedict, in wanting Catholics to know Scripture better, to pray Scripture more reverently, to be more familiar with the jewel, the very presence of God for enlightenment, for teaching, for encouragement, uh, the very presence of God when we read and pray and, and meditate on the scriptures, that he wanted to uh, honor St. Paul and use this as an opportunity to encourage people to look at, uh, really, the, the sacred scripture's most prolific writer, uh, you know, a good chunk of the, most of the New Testament from the hand of St. Paul. Uh, so this, uh, this year, actually not the calendar year, it really it goes from the Feast of St. Peter and Paul, the 29th of June. It goes from the 29th of June of 2008 to the 29th of June next year, 2009, this whole year in between those feast days, really marking what we believe to be the 2000th anniversary of, of Saul's birth. He's believed to have been born between 7 and 10 uh, A.D., uh, the best guess, what some of the, what the scholars would tell us. And so Benedict picked right in the middle of that time and said, let's use St. Paul in this year to, uh, to look at this man and to understand how St. Paul becomes really the church's you know, most powerful example of what it means to, to be an apostle. Um, St. Paul, or Saul's early life, we know that he was a Roman citizen. He was a very devout Jew, that his father belonged to the, the Pharisee, uh, sect, and they would have been people who would have been the most devout and the most righteous and probably the most severe of the Jews in their practice, 
in their worship, in their fasts, in their other things that surrounded their religious life. Well, that shouldn't come as a surprise to us because we hear St. Paul so often speaking, if you, if you read the words and you can almost hear him so enthusiastic, so energetic, Paul uh, and his personality suffered much because of what he saw in the Christian communities that he had visited, you know, initially accepting salvation and then kind of falling off again. You, If you read the body of Pauline literature, you see this man to whom the Lord had given a great deal of energy and a great deal of wisdom. And um, Paul accepted this as, as one of, he called himself, you know, the, the untimely born disciple. He didn't know the Lord Jesus personally like the other disciples, but he certainly made up for it once he got going. Well, too, he, when you mentioned that, uh, he was a, a devout, if you would use that type of phrase, persecutor of the Christians. I mean, as part of his own philosophy that uh, he would go out and he would really, really go after the, uh, the Christians. Yeah, Tom, it, uh, we, we frame a lot of what we know about uh, St. Paul's um, Jewish piety around the martyrdom of St. Stephen that we have there earlier in the Acts of the Apostles, and that everybody was coming up to this man named Saul, kind of asking for his approval in this, and he collected the cloaks of the people you know, after they stoned Stephen to death. And we know that after this stoning of St. Stephen, there was widespread persecution of Christians. And Paul confesses to, you know, having a a role and, you know, he led them out of town and threw them in jail, wanted to, you know, really kind of weed out what he, what he would have considered to be an abomination. How can these people speak of Christ uh, in such a powerful way? This would be blasphemy, you know, to, to someone to think that Christ could be on, on an equal footing with God. To say this can't be tolerated. And so with Paul's personality, he didn't just sit around and let this happen. He became active in trying to weed out, uh, you know, this experience. And then what happens to him? He's on the road and he has this experience where he loses his sight and he hears Christ speaking to him. You know, why do you persecute me? And Paul's response, you know, uh, you read it in the conversion is in uh, Acts chapter 9 that uh, Paul said, well, you know, who are you? What am I? What, what do you mean? You know, persecuting you? I mean, is this one of the people that I've put in jail, playing a trick on me? Is it someone come to capture me? Who is doing this? And and Christ speaking to him, I am Christ, whom you are persecuting. So in other words, you're not just persecuting these people. You're persecuting me when you do this. You're persecuting my presence in the church. You see all of these things come out in Paul's writings that the church is the body of Christ, not just some people who know Christ. Well, this would have been a powerful, these words come out of a powerful experience. Everything we read from St. Paul is based upon this idea of constantly being converted to Christ. He speaks of the body, giving up one's body. He speaks of living more in Christ than living actually myself, that Christ lives in me. It isn't I myself who go on living, he would say in the second chapter of Galatians, but Christ living in me. So this isn't just, okay, I've changed my mind. (laughs) This guy goes from being this most avid persecutor of Christians to being the most prolific writer and this kind of energizing, correcting, uh, teaching, crying, screaming, desiring to bring together these people to be faithful followers of Christ Jesus. 
Well, as, as I recall, there was he was he was on the road and he was traveling with other people, and all of a sudden, I think he describes a <clears throat> a flash in the sky uh, when when Christ says this. And as you were you were discussing this, it it struck me as that there are so many examples for us, two thousand years later in the lives of the saints, the lessons that we can learn, how we should live our lives, and the things that, that, that we should do. But here we are on the road, and, and suddenly he's lost his sight, and, and then what happens? Well, he, he goes into, you know, he goes into, they drag him into town, he needs some kind of attention, the people are with him, they don't know, you know, what's going on, nobody else hears this, or sees this, or hears anybody speaking, uh, only Paul hears this, and they take him in, and uh, the Holy Spirit moves um, Ananias to go to, to go to meet this Paul, you know, or this Saul, and uh, Ananias doesn't want to go, he says, you know, uh, you know, Lord, isn't this the person who has been persecuting Christians, I mean, Ananias is put in a very difficult place, I mean, if I, what is this like, uh, you know, when the police send out uh, invitations to people to come get a free television when they're wanted for crimes, and they show up, and they put them in chains and take them away, I mean, Ananias would have thought, why would I want to go see this man, I want to run the other direction, he's persecuting the church everywhere that he goes, but Ananias goes, and uh, laying his hands on Saul, then these scales fall from his eyes. He wants to go uh, uh, meet the other disciples, uh, and he, he just suddenly just goes off, and he just takes on this duty to preach that Christ Jesus is the Savior of the world. And it isn't, isn't it ironic that really, I mean, God chose to do this, and he almost, we don't want to say what God needed, but God used this conversion to be this wonderful tool for the early church. Because you think about, you know, Paul, the pious, Pharisee, righteous Jew, you know, that salvation is only in this and everything. Well then, but who does Paul become? Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. When the early church in the Acts of the Apostles is debating, should everybody have, to, should all the men have to be circumcised? Do they all have to become Jewish first before they can become Christians? And the church was torn. Peter was kind of leaning toward, well, yeah, everybody should have to become you take on the Jewish faith as the true foundation for the Christian faith. And you would think that Paul would say, well, yeah, of course, you know, I spent my whole life as a devout Jew before I recognized that Jesus is the savior of the world. Everybody should have this background. Paul ironically becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, to go out to those who were not Jews, who don't know of all the background upon which the Christian faith is built, that everybody can be saved. I think we overlook, I mean, it's, what a radical idea that Paul would be the apostle to go out and say, you know, everyone can take on this. Paul would have, would have received his faith. He would have taken great pride in, in the family lines into which he was born, taken great pride in the faith and the tradition passed down to him. And he says, those aren't the things that matter. It isn't your family line. It isn't your genealogy. It isn't what you were raised in. You can be saved. Everybody can be saved. Paul goes into that beautiful, you know, we read it, you hear it at every wedding, you know, the bodies of, of many parts, <laughs> all these things that we typically think are very flowery language, but this is, this is radically spoken from a man who was so, you know, entrenched in one thing, this radical conversion then overshadows every other theme, and Paul goes out preaching this gospel to anyone who will listen, and frequently enough to those who won't, he gets himself thrown in jail, he's in chains, he's shipwrecked, he suffers many things for the conversion of anybody who will listen to Christ. It's almost a, a perfect example of Christ saying, come and follow me. 
and and, and to to give up all of the things that were so important to him and where he was putting his priorities. His, he was putting his priorities on Christ. A hundred percent, a 360 degree or 180 degree complete turnaround to his life as he had lived it to go and help spread the gospel of Christ. Right, and you mentioned exactly right that you know that this became the model of the saints. You think of the saints who give everything to Christ. That what I spoke in his letter um, to uh, the uh, to Timothy that the word of God cannot be contained. Go out now and do this. Go out and listen, and go and teach, and go and preach. And what I said earlier from Galatians, it's no longer I who live but Christ in me. How many saints have had that as their motto? They give up their former way of life, their, own, their former ambitions, their own dreams, their own ideals, and God uses that talent so that others may know him. Paul would have been highly thought of. He would have been well-respected. He was very smart. He had a fairly decent position. People were throwing their cloaks, as we said, we noticed at him, at the, at the martyrdom of St. Stephen. They would have looked up to him. Now Paul has to suffer all these things for the gospel. God really kind of bends him and molds him and makes him die to self. But then he becomes this person who, not, not through his own plan, but through God's grace, uh, as, as we mentioned, the most prolific writer of, of the New Testament, this kind of this super apostle, this, this, this living witness of what Christ can do, this giver of these gifts of grace, uh, the infuser of the Holy Spirit and, and it's these words that come out. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians, for, for, for people, you know, well, what did Paul write? What did he do? 1 Corinthians, that first letter to the Corinthians, is one of the oldest written words from the New Testament, even before some of the Gospels were finalized. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter. So many jewels, including you know, the, the Lord's passion and resurrection, that he received this as the first thing he knew about Christ. But then later on to say about the Eucharist, that it is in this way that we commemorate in the best way the presence of Christ and his death and resurrection until he comes again. But for readers who want to really hear the heart of Paul and get all these little gems, um, you know, that letter to the Romans really pours out Paul's heart. And you hear him just speaking so beautifully about what salvation is, what it means, how we're justified. And Tom, it's so different from some of the things that would have been ingrained in Paul, as we mentioned about his conversion. He's going on over and over and over again to say it isn't in these practices. It's in your accepting of Christ Jesus as your Savior and, and, Savior and living more for him than you even do for yourself. Well, I believe, too, that, that that he was preaching this and he was traveling around speaking about Jesus Christ for probably two or three years before he, he went to Jerusalem where he spent maybe a, a couple of weeks with, with Peter. And, and the thing that I would like to ask is, maybe this is not a question that we could answer, but it's a one, wonderful question to maybe consider. What do you imagine in your mind that Peter and Paul were saying to each other. What did they talk about? Well, I mean, we can only imagine. We can only imagine the conversation between those in the early church. You think about what they faced. They faced persecution at any moment. Uh, they knew that martyrdom was just around the corner. But they were so convinced that what they were doing was the will of God that they didn't let these things get in the way. They weren't afraid of these things. They were ready for them. In fact, 
Uh, and and St. Paul certainly would have knew what he was up against. He was a smart man. I, you, we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to know what Peter and Paul talked about or, or argued about. Or what? And can you imagine the conversation of St. Paul telling, asking St. Peter, you know, and asking, you know, uh, what was this Jesus really like? Can you imagine Paul asking these various apostles and people who knew Christ, what did this guy sound like? What did he look like? How did you know he was the son of God? What, what, what drew you from his words? What was it like when he healed? How did the people respond when he talked? You can only imagine how many you know, staying up all night to, to ask and to find out this man who had changed Paul's life, we wanted to know as much about him, I'm sure, as he could. We don't have any of those uh, secret conversations. But, you know, on that is built all of our needs for conversion, not as dramatic as St. Paul. Now, we're not, we're not persecutors of the church. But to look inside every day, really, and say, how can Christ live more kind of through me? How can Christ come out of me in my life? How can it really be Christ living and his desire and his will and his love that comes out even before my own? How do I think of God's will for my family? What I'm supposed to do at work? How I'm supposed to treat others? How can I think of that even before I consider my own self-interest? Then something of the grace that came to St. Paul is present to us when we're even willing to struggle and suffer with these questions. Paul was a suffering apostle. You can almost picture his, his agony, his wanting to know, his wanting to figure out, his own struggles. You, you can hear in his words how difficult it was for him to go from day to day and how frustrated he was with those who accepted the gospel and the knowledge of Christ, but then went back to doing their own thing. He wasn't just someone who just did this for a living. I mean, it didn't pay, <laughs> but he did this out of just the greatest motivation from the heart. But all of us are called to search the heart and to look inside and to say, what, is, what, is, what do I think God wants me to do? How is he speaking to me? And maybe even more importantly, how can he speak through me? Well, and, and the life that he had lived before as, uh, as someone who persecuted the churches, as somebody really of means and what he would have to give up and what he gave up to follow Christ and and the messages that are there for us and as he went around and he uh, uh, as really a traveling disciple right he gave up everything he gave up his own will he gave his up his freedom uh, he gave up everything that we would have considered to be the you know what we consider now to be the greatest blessing that I should have things the way I want them I should be able to plan them the way I want it should be my will that should be done. Those are the kind of the overriding themes that we know from our culture, that we should be able to plan and have and enjoy. And, and St. Paul didn't do any of those things. I mean, his life was changed more than just what the message was, that, okay, now I'm a Christian. But St. Paul uh, gave up his own will, really, to the will of God. Well, and then he would travel, and he and 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 I think he traveled with Barnabas, and he traveled uh, uh, all over, to, to Cyprus, uh, to to many of the places. And as he would travel, he was uh, not always uh, welcomed warmly. No, I mean we have in the Acts of the Apostles, you know, uh, the, the way we find out that the different places that Paul went and the things he said, and sometimes people were convinced and I'm sure as it sure I'm sure it was for all the apostles and many were baptized and, and many were changed forever on that day we know Paul and the Acts of the Apostles you get into arguments with people they're, they're worshiping a statue of of the unknown God and Paul just I mean Paul lays it out there and says well you know you worship your unknown God but I can tell you a God that you can know and some of those people were moved and they went with them and some of them said 
Well, why don't you come and talk about to us, you know, uh, later about this on a later day? Kind <laughs> of being told, well, that's great. That all sounds great. We're going to break for lunch and you have a good life. I mean, that's kind of the way that some of these interactions must have gone. But Paul was willing to face embarrassment, willing to be run out of town, willing to be on a ship. ship can you imagine being on a ship in those days? You couldn't just put the motor down and go back. You know, Paul, stranded, imprisoned, all these things. And he just kept going. He, he knew more than anything else that this was the will of God for him and that he was going to spend his whole life. He willingly took on the cross. Remember, he said, the cross is a stumbling block to Jews and it doesn't make any sense to Gentiles. But for those of us who know, the, who know Christ, picking up the cross every day is the way of salvation. And he was uh, so devout, getting back to his, his early days uh, as a devout Jew. And, and Saul, uh, the, the, name, the, the very name Saul, was a, uh, a typical uh, Jewish name at the time. But I believe it was when he left the island of Cyprus that uh, he, he switched from Saul to Paul because that became a Roman name or a Christian name. Right. I mean, he just, the transformation was, was just complete for Paul. So, I mean, that, you know, he probably would have thought, well, you know, what's in a name? Because he didn't even compare. He didn't even care, he writes us, when they compare him to the other apostles. He said, you can, you can make me what you want, but it isn't really me. It's not me that you really ought to be concerned about. I'm not your savior. It is Christ. And the example is in giving up our own will and being willing to take on the cross and understanding that we can find the will of God for our lives, and we ought to put nothing in the way, nothing ought to be an obstacle to following that will. And Paul is someone whom we honor, for whom we draw strength. When we read those inspired words who had such great wisdom that he freely gave, that he spent his whole life doing what every Christian should do. And the travels that he did. I mean, he traveled a great deal around the, the known world at that time, uh, to Corinth, and and uh, as a side issue, when I, I was in Corinth a, a few years ago, and uh, our guide at that time took us to a spot, and they said, uh, this is where people spoke, and this is probably the spot where Paul would stand and address the people, and it was a wonderful feeling to, to be standing there looking at this spot, and I was with some friends just within the last few uh, weeks, and uh, they talked about taking a tour on uh, that was called In the Footsteps of Paul that really taught them or showed them really the immense travel that he did. I mean, you can find uh, in, in Turkey and in Jerusalem and in Rome, you could spend a lot of time uh, tracing wouldn't be too bad of places to visit <laughs> and go in the winter when it's when it's cold here go there to those places but yeah i mean you traveling wasn't easy uh but that's what paul realized that he had to do and, and everything that he did was a reflection of his desire to follow the will of god which he thought meant which we, we, we praise god that he meant giving away everything for the sake of furthering the knowledge that others could have of christ well it's, it seems to me that sometimes we, we listen to the stories of the saints and uh, they sound pretty, they sound good, but we don't really stop and think. And I, I think that, at least for me, the, the stories of the saints are really instructions, not just a story in themselves, but they are giving us direction on how we should live our lives, the things that we should do, the things that are important. And, and certainly, he went through a great many uh, problems, uh, particularly went to, when he went to Rome. Right. I mean, it's uh, the saints, their lives are lessons. Because remember, even the saint's life isn't for him or herself. 
the saint's life is, is for the salvation that that person receives from Christ, accepting it, uh, living it, but also to be a very powerful witness. You don't have to be shipwrecked to be a saint. You don't have to be an apostle to be a saint. I mean, remember, Paul, Paul talks about the various gifts that are given, administrators, preachers, those who can teach, those who can heal. All those things have a place in Christ's body. Moms, dads, brothers and sisters, laborers, um, even elected officials, <laughs> they can become saints. And these are people who are called wherever it is that they are. Uh, you don't have to travel. You don't have to make these pilgrimages. You can accept uh, the call to sanctity in your own life. And that's what St. Paul as this greatest witness really should inspire all of us to do. How did uh, Paul die? I, uh, when, we, when we talk, we know about St. Peter. Where did Paul die? He was imprisoned in Rome, and we believe that he was a martyred, beheaded in Rome. He would have received uh, that, I guess, we'd say not jokingly, but you know, a better death in, in beheading than in having to undergo crucifixion because he was, in fact, a Roman citizen. And you can go to the uh, place outside of Rome, uh, Tre Fontane, uh, where Paul was believed to have been uh, beheaded. And they, they, that's kind of the accepted understanding of how Paul met uh, his end, not long from the time in which St. Peter did. They're always tied together in their feast days because they're kind of the two pillars on which the early church stands, both in its preaching and in its, in its leadership together. Peter is the source of unity. Paul is its greatest preacher. And so the June the 29th is their feast day together because they, not because they were the same people, they were very different, but because they both believed that the most important thing one could ever do was to give one's life over to Christ. I think that probably sums it up, and I sure appreciate having the opportunity, Father Harmon, for taking time out from your busy schedule, and it's, it's really always an honor for me to have you with me. And in this year of St. Paul, uh, the world reveres this powerful man who listened and, and paid attention to the Word of God. St. Paul was a warrior for Christ, and he paid the ultimate sacrifice, which will never be forgotten. And maybe in this year of St. Paul, we, we should ask ourselves, what will be our sacrifice for God? This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.